I'm a giant when I step Ballin' like the Jets, startin' jersey like the Nets To New York like the Mets, yeah I win like the Yanks Like the past, spell a check, GNT Sports Talk How to show on the net, yeah On myself, yeah I bet, yeah I put blood to the switch, yeah From the east to the west, GNT Sports Talk How to show on the net, everyone so we are here for the first edition of uh, memorability it's grunt sports run by billy martin jr of course my brother bobby thompson so guys unfortunately we have to start with this lockout it's absolutely been terrible and it doesn't look like it's getting much better no it doesn't uh you know it just seems like you make progress one day the next day there there's a roadblock you make progress another day, and then there's another roadblock the next. It just seems like, you know, these both sides, you know, that you feel like they're inching closer shortly, but then they hit a hole in the road and fall right through it. And, you know, it's, it's irritating because right now, <clears throat> excuse me, spring training should be going on. I mean, next Tuesday is March 1st, for crying out loud. I mean, this is opening days a month away. This is like five weeks away we're talking about right now. So... And that is in serious jeopardy. So I, I I don't like what's going on. Let's hope for a compromise by the weekend at least. You know, deadlines make deals. And it would sure be nice if these guys could sit down in a room and say, look, if we don't get this done by next Wednesday, by Next whatever. We're going to go to last year's rules and go another year. And let's try to throw the game out there and get through this pandemic because I'm not sure there could be a worse time to even talk about a damn lockout or strike. How many fans have walked away from sports in the last two years? Whether it's for guys kneeling down, you know, some political cause or another. People don't want to hear about strikes. John Q. Public doesn't understand the billionaire owners or the millionaire players issue. They don't. They've all got to get up and go to work in the morning. So... Let's either let this go or let the three of us figure it out. And whenever we get to an impasse, rock, paper, scissors, and then figure out who wins. That's a very uh, interesting way to look at it. Hey, why not? I mean, like, if it, get, if it gets baseball back, I mean, by all means, I mean, it's just something's got to give. I mean, this is just a problem with this. And we all – it was inevitable. There was no – getting away from this both sides just are really far apart on so many issues it's not just one issue it's a lot of issues and it just feels like you know compromises in baseball just seems like there's none nobody wants to give if you it's like you know nobody like wants to be like oh yeah i'm the one that caved in i i just let it go and all that like that's why i seem 
it seems like it's happening. But you know what? To get back to the game everyone loves, I understand some of the issues. And listen, in terms of this lockout, personally, I'm I'm all for the players, in my opinion. I feel with baseball, it would not be where it is without their players. They need to be taken care of more, a lot of things, especially with the minor leagues, in my personal opinion. But in terms of this negotiating process, I think people in baseball's front office need to be removed. I won't go dive deep too much into it. I think we all hit the, you know, feel the same way about it, but it's just, it's bad. It really is. This all could have been avoided. I think years ago, we all knew years ago how bad MLB, PA, and MLB were just going to be at a crossroads, and this lockout was inevitable, as I, as I said. However, you know, they should have started talks like this even last year. In the beginning, you know what? Let's let's start like some ground, like ground. Let's start the ground running. Let's talk, you know, before the end of the year happens, and then we gotta lock everybody out. Let's just come to a compromise. Let's. I know it's not gonna take a day, but let's work on it, like before this off season. And no, it didn't. And now we're in this hole. That's the problem. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. The deadline, and that's why I say let's do last year's rules, but make it mandatory that both sides meet twice a week all season long until it gets done. Yeah. That the commissioner and and the head of the union have to meet twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, every damn week until we get this thing worked out. And just kind of torturing them like that, they'll get the deal done. And – we can get on with this thing because it should be done behind closed doors. Shouldn't be done all over the media. Shouldn't be something that three of us are talking about right now. Yep, we're helping. We're contributing to the problem. But you know what? It's 84 days they put us in this position. Uh, like Bobby said, they're very far apart. I'm going to show Jeff Passon's tweet, and it kind of explains everything that's going on right now. So the CBT, they're 31 million apart. That remains the biggest hurdle, and they haven't even discussed that in the three days yet. So we are not anywhere close right now, like you guys said. The bonus pool of arbitration is like 95 million. Minimum salary 135k, and then the draft lottery is three picks. So that's a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, right? Can't we find middle ground? Can't we? You know. Like, I guarantee you, if they took it to a mediator and he just split it down the middle at every issue and said, all right, let's try this for one year. See where we're at. And, and then we'll do over next year. But, but if you don't have it done by this date, you're meeting every day, twice a week, five days a week, something insane like that to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a good idea. I, it's better than what we're seeing now. The only problem is that I don't want this issue to keep coming up again. That's the only thing I would say. But I like your my little grounds of like trying to resolve it as it's going on. But we don't want to be sitting here next year having this conversation. No, it's got to be over. Uh, it's The game's losing fans because of it. Yeah, it's bad. The greatest game on the planet. America's game. The game that grandpas take their kids to and you know they want to talk about taxes and caps and all that stuff put a cap on ticket prices 
Tickets used to be like going to a movie. So grandpa could afford to take his four grandkids to a, to a baseball game. It's a car payment now. Yeah, family. that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So, you know, it, a lot of people are walking away because of that. Yeah, they're doing insurmountable damage at this point. They're going to lose all the casual fans that didn't even know there was a walkout. Now everyone knows because there's no spring training. People are asking questions or asking what's going on. And it's hard to even give an answer because it's been the same nonsense for almost three months now. Like, what do I, like, what do I even say at this point? Both sides can't stand each other. I mean, I don't think the Rockies owner, Dick Montfort, should be leading the charge either because he's shown he's incompetent on his own end. So I don't know. I have no idea why he's responsible for this. Tony Clark's not doing a good job either, though. Got to call him out also. I mean, he's not great, but it's definitely more towards the owners. Yeah. Look, I think Tony does a pretty dang good job considering what he has to work with. I know he consults with my partner, with lots of other agents in the game. It's just neither side wants to give an inch. Mm-mm. And part of the problem is because all of this stuff is being shown on the newspaper and on the air and talked about by guys like us. So every inch they give, everybody considers them a loser for. You know, so anything Clark gives on, he's going to have hundreds of players angry with him. Ah, I can't believe you're giving in. But they both sides have to get. Yeah. We're not going to get anywhere. The best negotiations is one where both sides walk away a little bit miserable. Yeah. If it brings back baseball, I mean, yeah, that's exact. You're exactly right, Billy. It is. Uh, you know what? At this at this point, uh, if I was a player, I mean, I would say, you know what? Just to get back to baseball, if we give in a little bit. What does it matter? Let's just get back to playing. Let's just get back to the go work out, get ready for the season, and let's just go try to win a championship. I mean, that's what everybody's fighting over, the almighty dollar. I get it. That's what everybody cares about is the the money. I get it. Everybody. And rightfully so. Everybody wants to get theirs. But, you know, I think this all of this could have been avoided. Um, you know, I agree with you meeting two times a week until it gets done. I think that's what needs to happen. You see too much of somebody. You're like, you know what? All right, just let's just okay, let's just get I give. Just all right, fine. I, I get it. Hey, let's do it. Yep. Here, just give me yeah. the paper. Sign it now. Let's go. It's just see you in ten years. Absolutely. I think Absolutely. the deals are five, so at least if they get it done, we don't have to worry about this for another five years, which is going to be a blessing after this. But like Bobby said, we knew this was coming. It was inevitable. That's what makes it more frustrating. They wait like 40-plus days to make their first offer. And like Billy said, deadlines make deals, and we're getting really close to the deadline, and no one's giving enough, so now it's a really nerve-wracking time. This is basically it. I mean, if we don't have a deal by the time we record this show next week, I think opening day is lost. Well, uh, I'm going to hope. And pray that you're wrong. But let's change the subject and talk about a new Yankee number that we hear is coming off the books. Yep, happier times. Paul O'Neill. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what was your initial thought when you heard that? That the Yankees are retiring number 21 for Paul O'Neill. I mean, I feel like we should be playing like 
playing like music. Warriors come out to play. But uh, what was your what was your gut feeling to that when you when you heard that? Bobby, what did you think? Uh, I felt it was long overdue. I think Paul O'Neill is one of the best Yankees. Uh, loved him. I think everybody who you talk to loved Paul O'Neill. I think he's one of the best right fielders in Yankee history. Uh, loved the way he played. Loved his attitude. I even loved when he got pissed off and used to throw things and kick his glove around. Throw, uh, he gets thrown out at first base. He's throwing a temper tantrum. Come on. he it just his, It's his passion. And then, not to mention, I absolutely love him on commentary on the Yes Network and love ta- hearing about how much he loves to eat all the time. And <laughs> he's just – he just seems like a real all-around guy. And it, it's its long overdue. That number 21, uh, I think I saw something yes a few days ago. Latroy Hawkins was the last one to wear number 21 in the Yankees uniform. That was in 08. The last year at the old Yankee Stadium, and somebody on the team gave him a gave him an issue because that's Paul O'Neill's number, and he switched it to 22, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I think that it's long long overdue. I think Paul O'Neill, that's my dad's favorite player. Uh, once that broke, I remember my dad called me saying it's about damn time this happened. Uh, and it was just it's it's awesome. I I, I really wish I I live in Florida now. I, I could be up there to see that. Hey, maybe I will. So, uh, you know, it's just, um, it, it's awesome. Long overdue and can't wait to see that number in um, Monument Park with Paul O'Neill on there. Well, they did give him a plaque. They finally retired a number now. Um, I agree with you guys. I think it was overdue. I thought this would have happened a while ago. And he's happening on the 21st of August. So it's very fitting for him. We're going to do 21 on the 21st. It all makes perfect sense. Uh, it's going to be a great day at the stadium. We're definitely trying to get out there. Uh, Paul Neal's a great Yankee. He embodies everything that you want. A lot of guys don't have what he has anymore. He was the winner. Uh, he won four World Series. Um, I'll pull up the numbers here, but he was more than that, obviously. He played with the Yankees for nine years, had 185 homers, 858 ribbies, just over 300 batting average. He was a good performer in the big stage with 10 homers and 35 ribbies in the postseason for the Yankees, too. And his OPS was 870 during the season, around 830 in the playoffs. So he was consistent. The big moment didn't scare him away. And one thing that Bobby said that was interesting was about Troy Hawkins. The Yankee fans booed him, booed him viciously for wearing that number. He got it. He got it hard from the fans for that. Uh, the fans loved him, Neil. I mean, the fact the thing that stands out to me is that they were losing a World Series game, and he's still getting like a roll call. He didn't know how to handle it because they were losing the game, but it was going to be his last home game. And you know how we don't like losing, so that really stands out. Yeah, I, I love that. He showed his anger. You know, I like to see that. I like to see a player get mad. Obviously, you got to—they've got to get it back together, right? But when a guy strikes out and you see that anger, I dig it. He had a couple. I found a couple interesting notes on him. He literally played 235 consecutive games without an error. Wow. Think about that, man, because we're talking about a guy that had a big arm and took pride in his defense, you know, which, you know, something we're not seeing as much in today's game. Um, he was also 
was also the first 38 year old in Major League history to be a 2020 guy to hit a steal 20 bases interesting and hit 20 home runs uh that was later equaled by Gary Sheffield in like 07 but I just thought I thought those were two really unique things that stood out and um he damn sure epitomized kind of the Yankee way right he was never happy unless unless he succeeded unless he did well unless he won and like so many of the great Yankees played great in the postseason absolutely and you know I like I said I love his attitude you know he was just he was a guy who I feel like that was if you're looking for a blueprint of a George Steinbrenner type of player I think Paul O'Neill is up there with with a lot of them I think he is a guy who was never sat like you said never satisfied wanted to win always um and embodied what being a Yankee was all about. I love it. Like, I love his attitude. I used to love watching games. I was really young, too. And I remember uh, yeah. where I used to live in New Jersey. And my entire block, my, my really good friend at the time, his name was Paul. And he used to literally, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm Paul O'Neill. Like, he used to walk into school. <laughs> Paul O'Neill had a great game the day before. He's like, oh, I'm Paul O'Neill. He wears O'Neill shirt. He's like, yeah, that's my guy. I'm Paul. That's my guy. He used to, it's hilarious back in the day. I was like in elementary school. I don't know how I remember it, but used to love Paul O'Neill. And I remember, you know, watching games with him and literally we loved Paul O'Neill from, it, it was, it's, it's awesome. It really is. Like I said, I can't, I can't say it enough. It's long overdue. It's a great thing. And we need something to celebrate in this dark time that baseball's going yeah. through. So that was welcome news. And I saw, I was like, all right, we have something cool to talk about now. That's all this boring lockout stuff. But Bobby made a good point. Unfortunately, we were very young when he was in his prime. So we couldn't fully see like how we see things now. Like, we enjoyed him. Uh, my dad grabbed a foul ball. He hit one time. We went to a game when I was like eight or something. But um, unfortunately, we couldn't fully see how we see it now. I'm going to ask you an interesting question, Billy. Who do you think he compares to from back in the day or maybe any current players that he reminds you of? Wow. Um, I mean, I mean, I almost, there's part of me that wants to say, but now I can't say Dave Winfield because he was just, he was such a great athlete, but, but he had that big arm. That's the first thing that I thought of. And he took pride in his defense. and But he didn't get mad like Paul did. I mean, and that's a quality I'm sorry, I just love. I can understand why. I mean, oh, I'll tell you who played that way. Lou Pinella played that way. Lou Pinella got angry that way. And he would, as a manager, get angry at his players. Because everybody's different psychologically. And you'll see some guys strike out, and they'll walk back to the dugout smiling like, oh, that was a terrible call. Uh, but they've got a smile on their face. And some managers just can't handle that. Lou was one of those guys. I mean, I, I know he said it to some of his Tampa players. You know, what the hell so funny? You just struck out. You know, that, that was a terrible call. Why, why didn't you say something to the umpire? Oh, what does he care about my you know, And at the end of the day, you know, 
Lou ended up getting rid of those players, trading those players, because he likes to see guys show their emotion a little bit. And you can show too much emotion, right? You can you can get angry and go in the dugout and beat up the water machine and you know throw stuff all over the place and um or you can get mad for a minute and flush the toilet and move forward and and that's kind of the guys i like on my team i want to see a little bit of that anger just like i want to see that guy get excited when he does it right you know that yeah you know then then he gets it together runs the bases and tucks his head but right when he hits that bomb, he does jump up and down. That's yeah. what it's supposed to be. I like real emotion. I don't like the contrived stuff. I don't like all the little dances that guys do together. And like, come on. But I like real emotion when a guy's just overwhelmed with picking up his teammates. I love that too. I I love uh, seeing raw emotion from players. I hate players when they. They get a um, they get a base hit. You know, be excited. You know what? I don't care if it's just a single. Get excited. You're on base for crying out loud. I, I absolutely. I hate guys. I hate guys. You ever see this? Sometimes guys hit home runs and they're not excited about it. They just they just round the bases. I'm just like, you just hit a home run for crying out loud. Yeah. I, I love, I love seeing uh guys, especially walk offs when they go nuts. Like literally, oh, yeah. like the bat yeah. flips, like. Like Jose Batista, that bat flip, that home run he did, that's one of my favorite is my favorite of all time. Literally just looking at the uh dugout and then throw like whips it like that. I'm like, oh that's badass. I love that. That's the type of guy I want on my team because he he wants it like that. Except, I love seeing that too. Except for that one seemed like because he wasn't smiling. That was the only that's part true. for me that seemed like it was an Kind of an up yours bat flip. Oh yeah, it was. It was. It was. Then I get it, but but he had this kind of up yours look, and then look what happened. Then uh, Ruth Nando Doris decided to clean his clock <laughs> the next night. But uh, I I don't know that. I mean, I, I like the real stuff. I'm with you on that. I, just the way he acted so tough about it, to me, it was showing up the picture. If he'd have been smiling when he did it, if he'd have been, but I don't know. I overread some of that stuff too. I mean, the, to me, the best of all time, is Kurt Gibson, home run, what's that, 88 for World Series, where he comes limping off the bench and gets that home run off Eckersley to, to win the World Series for the Dodgers. And and he's pumping the arm, running around the bases. Yep, I love that. And it's not him. That's it's very rare that he was ever that emotional. I mean, he was a great college football player, too. And Interesting. And he was like a – he was like a team sheriff. You know, he was the guy that would jump in your face if, if you were – getting a little carried away hey dude you're gonna get us hit you know get it together and it took him a while to warm up to that team because he was so uh rigid kind of so like 
knowing that about him, that's why that's my favorite celebration in history. But, uh, you know, it was also a pretty damn big moment, too. Of course. Of course it was. How could you – that's, like, iconic seeing that video. Mm-hmm. Jeter was pretty excited after the, the ball flip to, you know, to – I think it was Girardi catching. I can't remember who he got out. The one again. The Jeremy Giambi play. I think that was Posada, I think, uh, who was catching that game. Okay. okay. The one where he did the flip, where he literally came out of nowhere and did that flip. Like, I'm still watching this play. I still don't know how he did that. It's just, it's moments like that you love it. And and speaking of Derek Jeter, that guy. With raw emotion, you love that too, because he embodied raw emotion too. I feel like I feel like you kept Absolutely. to himself a lot, but when he was on that on that field and he did something, you you know how excited he was. He he's the first one out of the dugout to congratulate a player when they did something. Oh yeah. Now on a side note, Jeter's building something special in Miami. We got to talk to Miguel Rojas the other day, and he's they're starting to build some good things down there. I would watch out for Marlins this year. Well, you know, he took a page out of. Mr. Steinbrenner's book. If if you look what he did, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys know. We touched on it earlier, but George George's story is pretty neat. He was born very rich. His father owned the American Shipbuilding Company. Okay, that's a pretty big company. But George wanted. To, chase his own dreams. So he went to a military academy where he excelled. And think about how much a rich guy gets hazed at a military academy. Hmm. He excelled there and he went and started coaching at high school level in football. He coached at two different high schools and then went to Purdue University and Northwestern. And I may be screwing up the order, but did real well at both. But then dad started getting sick. So he had to go run the family business. He had to leave his dream behind and dump the coaching shorts and go get serious, right? Well, he did so well with the American Shipbuilding Company that he took it to new heights it had never come close to. With all that new money, and that's when he started looking for an NFL franchise. But nobody was selling. The NFL was blowing up in the early 70s. And he stumbles across the New York Yankees for sale. So he gets a group of investors together, which included John DeLorean of the DeLorean automobile, like you see in Back to the Future. And and they paid $10 million. You think about the numbers we were talking about, the strike and all this stuff, the lockout. $10 million. That's a utility infielder now for, for a major baseball team, right? Okay. Guess how much of his own money Mr. Steinbrenner used to become the principal owner of the now probably $5 billion franchise New York Yankees? How much of his own cash? I'll give you guys both a guess. I'm going to say half, five. Julian? Well, I know what it is because you told me, so I'm cheating, but <laughs> it's, it's 500K. No, $155. Thousand oh, dollars. Wow, I was still off. Base. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. He he only used one hundred and fifty-five thousand of his own money Absurd. to become Absurd. the principal owner of the New York Yankees. Now, now wrap your head around that. And now let's 
move forward to what Derek Jeter just did. He got a group together. They purchased the Florida Marlins. He did invest $25 million of his own dollars into buying that franchise. He's also been named or named himself. I'm not sure quite how that happened. President, main dude for the Florida Marlins, of which he gets paid $5 million a year. So do the math. How many years has he been there? Two already? Three? He's getting close to that five mark. He's almost making his money back. have his investment back in a couple years. And uh, so he did read a page of Mr. Steinbrenner's book, I have a feeling. Either was always smart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. My my very first client roomed with him in, in A-Ball. And wow. I was lucky enough to get to spend some time with Derek back when he was a rookie. And I'll tell you what, he always had it together. His priorities were always in line. And pretty impressive young man from the first day I met him. He's, he's just, he's in a class of his own, I feel like. Derek Jeter, just the way he operates. He, team guy always will do what anything that's best for the team. And as an owner, you know what? When he got rid of, all, like, um, Yelich and John Carlos Stanton, and you say, I know, we're all sitting back wondering, like, why why is he doing this? And then you see what he's doing, and he, he know I understand that. He's a smart guy. He's very... He knows how to build a team. He's doing, like you said, he's taking a page out of uh, the boss's playbook. And there's no, but I feel like he loved Jordan Steinbrenner more than anybody. I feel like the two of them, it was like a father son type of thing, and it's, it's just awesome. I, I do think Derek Jeter is gonna do well. He has done a great job with the Marlins. I know they haven't won anything, but you know what he's slowly building down there is, is something that might is gonna last for a while. Absolutely. Now, speaking of that, there was some interesting news with the Steinbrenner family. I'm not sure if you caught this, Billy, but apparently the Yankees hired um, George's grandson, George Michael Steinbrenner, in some capacity. It's um, it's a uh, Hank Slate, Hank son. Now, I don't know if you know anything about that or know him at all. I'm like, I was kind of surprised by that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I I don't. I will. I will do a little research and. Uh, let you know what I find out for our next one, because uh, if he's if he's related to Hank, I'm sure I'm gonna love him. Hank was a friend of mine. I I enjoyed Hank a lot, and he told me a lot of great stories, even about his relationship with my father and uh, things that happened, things that he regretted. Uh, because he actually knew his stuff. And, but I also understand, you know, it sounds great, right, to guys like us to say, hey, how would you like to run the Yankees? But every day be accountable to the press. Um, there's a lot to it, man. And when you grow up in that shadow, 
that everybody thinks they want to be in. It's a different world. You know, whenever I meet another celebrity son, there's this instant connection because we, we both grew up in that shadow. When I met George W. Bush the first time, when he was, he was not a politician. He was a Texas Rangers owner. Owner, right? Yeah. I was with an old friend. He thought he watched us shake hands. Well, he didn't just shake my hand. He gave me the kind of half hug, handshake combo, right? And my buddy's like, I didn't know y'all knew each other. I said, no, I didn't. But, you know, he grew up a president's son, right? So he had to live in that big shadow. George W. did not want to be a president. Jeb Bush was the one that was going to be the next president. And W didn't want anything to do with that. He loved baseball and wanted to be a baseball owner and worked his butt off in business and did really well and got there. And um, so anyways, he he knew when he shook my hands that I might slightly understand what it would be like growing up the president's son because my whole life, my father was in the limelight and if I screwed up, if I screwed up, it was going to be in every sports page in the country. You know, Billy Martin's son gets arrested for beating up two talk show hosts or teasing. You never know, and you have to walk around with those things in the back of your head as a celebrity son, and it makes you not want to be in the limelight some degree because of growing up because you were forced in it as a kid right so when i first got in television right out of college i just wanted to be behind the scenes and produce and write the script and put the show together and sell the ads and i didn't want to be on camera now that i have great hair i've changed my mind <laughs> so would you say that it was just a large amount of pressure to, you know, behave in a way like you you were would you say growing up you lived your life basically like kind of timid to like do something like if you knew it was wrong you're like I I can't do it. I'm sorry. I don't think I'm sure. going to do I'm I'm going to go down this path. I couldn't get caught. I mean, if there was a chance I was going to get caught. I, I couldn't do it. You know, um, and even as a little guy, you would introduce yourself to people as I'd say, hi, I'm, I'd use my middle name. I'm Billy Joe. Nice to meet you. Well, two weeks later, when that kid runs back to me, because you didn't tell me your dad's manages the Detroit Tigers. Yes, and now I know where I stand with you. Because most kids, when they met me, oh, wait, your dad's the Yankee manager? Buddy, hey! They want to be my friend, right? Because maybe I'd take them to the clubhouse. They'd get some autographs. Hang out with the team. Um, so, yeah, you didn't, you didn't even want to meet people that way. You wanted to, you know, get to know them first and then share that with them. 
Yeah, I it, hearing that story, I would totally get that. If if my father was like that too, I mean, I would, I would really like. For me, it would be like I wouldn't want to disappoint him and embarrass him. That's the way I would feel and be like, hey. Like, now they're writing stories about me, Dad. Like, you don't need this right now. Especially if it was during, like, playoffs and stuff like that. That's something, yeah, no. I, 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 if I was in that position too, Billy, I would feel the same way you did, definitely. That's yeah, a tough thing to really gauge. I mean, we've never had that pressure before, personally, I know. But you've done a great job handling it. And you've done like, look where you are now and everything. We're so excited that you're on the team and it's going to be a fun time for all of us so let's move forward and we'll close down here i know we got the memorability so we were talking before the show about some items that what are some items that you think go onto the radar some unique things that a lot of people wouldn't normally discuss that we can bring the light here well obviously the memorabilia market is going way up right we just saw what a mickey mail card Held for four and a half million dollars, something crazy like that, uh, recently. But to me, there's like your cut and dry memorabilia. That it, it's easy to say, what's this signed jersey worth, or what's this card, or autograph card, or autograph eight by ten photo, or a baseball with Joe DiMaggio's signature on it. It's to me the obscure stuff that you can really find great deals out there. Because how do you price it? I mean, how do you price something that's not normal? So, if, for example, a, a Joe DiMaggio jacket that he happened to wear to dinner, to me, I personally probably rather have something strange like that that's unique how many of those are out there in the world as opposed to a you know autographed eight by ten picture sign i'd kind of rather have the weird but i say that and they're not worth as much on the street a baseball like i've got this box of balls from 1975 i believe um my father was managing the Texas Rangers, and they played their first old-timers day game, of which Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Casey Stingle was there, Bob Feller, um, all these big names, superstars came to this first game, and they did just called it the, the classic old-timers or something silly like that. Well, I've got some baseballs signed by this group. So I've got balls with Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Bob Feller, you know, all these guys on it. And you show that to people and they're like, oh, I don't know what that's worth. I mean, I'd just rather have Mickey Mantle. Well, okay, but it's not. It's, to me, it's worth more than just a Mickey Mantle baseball or just a Joe DiMaggio baseball. But... I think it scares people and they don't know how to price it, deal with it. And, and I, I do want to, I do want to spend a little time talking about odd things like that. My, my father smoked a pipe. You've seen tons of pictures of him sitting at his office, you know, in Yankee stadium after a game, doing his interviews with the, with the press, holding a pipe in his hand. 
what are those pipes worth? You know, if you could prove it was his pipe, what's it worth? And that kind of stuff to me is be a lot cooler. It had a lot more chance. What what are a pair of his cowboy boots that he wore work? You have a cowboy hat? What are one of his cowboy hats worth? Remember former former Yankee and Oakland A catcher Mike Heath? Mike, to this day, still wears a hat Ed gave him. My father took off his head and gave to Mike. And Mike wears it all the time. He wears it to honor my father. When he when Dad was inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame, Mike wore his hat. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we do have some very notable news here who we can potentially close down with. Um, baseball just tweeted out the deal's not reached for the 28th. Games aren't being made up. Um, the players won't get their full pay. and um, So it's really the 28th or bust at this point for opening day. There's our deadline. Let's hope that deadline makes some deals. <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's hope, let's hope uh, within the next few days there's a compromise. Somebody's got to give. It's it's getting down to it. We really need. To, let's hope that they get it done in these next. It's it's down to five days now. This is really it, because if they lose the games, the, the battle's gonna get worse because the players are gonna go want the full pay and they're not gonna give it. So it's gonna be a nightmare if they don't figure it out in the next five days. Exactly, it's gonna be an issue. Let's hope that there's a compromise. Oh. Is there anything else you'd like to speak on, Billy? Ha! I just uh, I hope we get it done. Congratulations to Paul O'Neill and all the. You know, it's funny how many people get caught up in the Yankee numbers, and and I I just think it's it's awesome. You know, my my father took a lot of pride obviously in his number being retired but he also loved and respected the great bobby richardson who who wore number one and you know made it a point that after it was you know retired under my father's name that hey this man always wears number one also and you know, I, people don't, I don't know, quite get all that sometimes, but I thought they had to wear number 12 as a Yankee player one year because he had gone to the war and that's when Bobby started wearing number one and then he came back and the end of the 55 season, dad had to wear number 12 in a little while, so. So I just look at it. He was dad and Derek Jeter. There you go. There you go. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. But I I think it's something that's neat. I People get concerned about it. Oh, they're going to run out of numbers. Well, if they do, (laughs) then we can have a 1.5. And a (laughs) 100. Why can't you go over 100? Why can't you go over 100? 
They're, they're going to have to, I think, for our Yankees potentially. I was going over my dad the other day. I'm like, oh, 1 through 10, we're done. Um, obviously, your dad, number one, is great. That's that's actually awesome he's number one. That's got to be pretty cool, honestly. Like, all the numbers that we've are in number one. Like, that's pretty sick. It's very cool. I thought it was cool that Adam Ottavino wore zero. I love that, you know. And you can get creative with numbers. So, what's what's – What's wrong with 142 or negative negative 17? <laughs> negative would be imagine that thing minus on there. Like I want to see who the first player to be is gonna wear a hundred. I hope we get to see that one day. I really do. Right on. Chapman could wear 105. Chapman could wear 105. Yeah, that's true. One 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 one. I like that one. <laughs> That's two, two, one. two. It is two, two, two day yesterday. We missed our wave with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Mar- margarita day. I did have a margarita. So. There you go. Bottoms up. I am Billy Martin's son, so you know, I, have, yeah. I have to honor family traditions. So. There you go. That's yeah. it. Yep. And, uh, brother, you got to tell me you're going down to Texas soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to uh, Dallas uh, for – I'm a huge wrestling fan, so they have an event at uh, WrestleMania, so I'll be down in Dallas at the end of March. I know I know a guy who was the ring announcer for the very first WrestleMania in history. Who was that? Let's, uh, it's not – how is it Howard Finkel? No. No, he was a very good-looking man, and his name was Billy Martin, and uh, – my father was the first really? ring announcer of the very first WrestleMania mania with uh, Hulk Hogan and. Uh, I did not know that. Oh my god! Yeah. I did not know that. Now I gotta watch because my dad went to the first WrestleMania. Now I I gotta call my dad when I get off of this and ask him that because he was there with his dad. They wanted him to be the referee, and he, <laughs> he convinced. I think Muhammad Ali. Into doing that, oh wow! Swapping roles with him, he wanted to be the ring announcer. Um, I think mainly because he just wanted to get out of there early, so he knew all he had to do was go out and announce. And let's get ready to rumble <laughs> and announce uh, the fighters and everything, and that he could leave. It going so we'll say like Grunt Talks MLB is the website. You check out all our content. Um, we're on Twitter is Grunt Talks MLB. Also, we're on Facebook, Twitch, um, TikTok as well. We're everywhere. Um, and brother, talk about the NFL. So, yeah, the, there's the Grunt Talks NFL that we have as well. As Julian alluded to, when I came up with that, that's uh, we're viral. We're all over the place with TikTok, Twitch, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. The next thing that gets invented in the next <laughs> few years will be all over that. So. We're all over the place. Yeah, for YouTube, it's Grunt Sports. Um, my personal Twitter is JulianGlardy1, and Instagram is JulianGlardy11. Grunt Talk's team is a team, Instagram as well. So you guys can take away your personal information, too. All right. Floor is yours, Billy. Well, I need to polish up for that on next week's episode, probably. But uh, uh, I'm just... Glad to be here with you guys. Glad to talk about uh, about the Yankees. 
old days, new days, what's going on down the road. And uh, let's hope we're talking about relevant baseball sometime real soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's hope so. Let's hope that deadline. Yep. It's all about the 28th. Let's just hope our next show is an exciting one. But no matter what happens, we're always going to make it fun. So that's what we have to look forward to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. It was a great one, Billy. Well, we'll get better as we go. And uh, I got to do another one for buddy of mine here. We talk talk NFL and everything. An old friend of mine I went to college with has a has a company that they live stream high school sports. Really? Which is kind of cool. So he's got all these old interviews. Guys that were stud high school players that are now NFL players and stuff like that. And he'll he'll bring up the old interviews and it's kind of neat. But uh, but I've been we've been doing one together called Balls to the Wall. You know, either now, something in the past, something in the future, or take three totally different things. Talk about memorabilia for five minutes. I don't know, but I'm being a douchebag to my buddy who's waiting on me. All right. Well, give us his information. We'll check that one out, too. Like, we we'll definitely like to see all these platforms. I know Bobby will definitely be interested in the football stuff. Okay. Balls to the wall. Yeah, definitely. So, we're uh, – me and a guy named Kenny Matthews, who actually – Ironically, went to high school with a buddy of mine I used to play ball with, so it's kind of cool. Well, everything seems you have all these connections. It's crazy, like all the stuff we wouldn't even think of, like the WWE story. I know Bobby's gonna love that. <laughs> Phil, um, I'm excited for this too. Like Billy, thank you so much. It's gonna be a fun time. Thank you, Billy. This is a great intro. But we'll get better as we go. It's all about trial and error. Absolutely. We're gonna kick this thing's ass. So, hundred percent. All right, guys. Yeah.